In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, come by means of the powerful intercession of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, well-beloved spouse. Amen. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good evening. Tonight, the talk will be a little bit longer maybe, um, just about the beginning or the opening of this retreat. I'd like to start with, I told you I'm from the Bronx right now. I've been living there since 2012. Um, and there is a high school, it's an all-boys high school, um, Catholic high school, around, it's probably about seven or eight blocks away. And there was recently a young woman who graduated from university who got her first job there working um, in the administration at the high school. And her second year, she was actually promoted to be dean of students, which was quite a promotion. And with that promotion, she was able to get her own office with a window that was looking out into the main um, reception area so everyone could see that she had an office there and her name tag and everything. And uh, when she was settling into her office, she saw one of the maintenance um, men coming towards her office. And so she picked up the phone and she started talking on the phone and just motioned the man to come in. And this was her conversation on the phone. She said, oh, okay, yes, thank you. Yes, thank you, Bishop Walsh. Oh, yeah, you're so kind. I'm grateful for the recommendation that you, that you put my name in for this position. I love my office. Thank you, thank you for that compliment. Okay, yes, I'll, I'll, I'll tell him. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Bishop Walsh, bye-bye. And she hangs up the phone and she goes to the maintenance man, how can I help you? And he says, I'm here to connect your phone. <laughs> Why do we lie? Right? Why, why are we just not happy to be just ourselves? And why can't we just um, present ourselves as, as just who we are in front of others and, and needing to um, be accepted by others by building up some kind of false identity? I don't think anyone thinks about that's what we're doing when we're, when we're, we're trying to make ourselves look good in front of other people or, or practice certain behaviors in front of people. Um, but the Lord says, whoever humbles himself will be exalted, but whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And to be humbled when we're exalting ourselves for the wrong reasons is good for us. It doesn't feel good, but it's good for us. It's a good little check on what I hold to be really important. Why are we not satisfied 
with who we are? Right? And that's, that's a good question. And that comes up right from the beginning. Right from the beginning of Scripture, right? We have this, this couple, Adam and Eve, in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. And, and they're experiencing, they're in the, chap, they're in the garden, and they're, they're having this conversation. And then all of a sudden, they say, quick, hide. Right? They're, they're hiding from someone because they, they experience something has changed within them from a relationship that wasn't there before. God was coming and to walk and to speak with them. And God called out. He says, where are you? It's not as if the omnipotent God doesn't know that they're hiding there behind the tree. I would dare say that the question is, where are you now with me? Now that this has happened, why, why are you hiding yourself? And I suppose we can try and imagine Adam's answer or Eve's answer. But does he dare say? Why does he all of a sudden become afraid? And I would say that these are probably words of a troubled father. Where are you? And the greatest concern is that his love The Father's love no longer shines forth visibly, but his love now has to take the form of a punishment because of the chosen ones who fell. There is a promise, though. And in some sense, punishment in this way, death, which seems terrible to us because we weren't created to die, death is a good punishment. And it doesn't necessarily, we don't look at it that way. I told you that this this retreat's not going to start off the greatest, right? Death is actually a great punishment because otherwise we'd have to experience this separation for eternity Because as persons, we live forever. And death brings an end to that separation because of the very remedy that our loving Father has given to us in the punishment. But it's hard for us to grasp that. It's hard for us. Retreats are times for us to step back and look at a bigger picture. It brings us to a different site. We're set aside our daily schedule. Um, On the surface, it can be a time to get away, um, a time to have time to ourselves, a time of quiet, a time of extra sleep. And these are all good things. But that's not the main reason why we come to a retreat. If you need a little bit of extra sleep tonight, take it. 
But the retreat's not about sleep. It's a time for inner recollections and decisions. And it's a perfect time to take it during, at the beginning of Advent. And what are the questions that we ask? Where, where am I? What response in faith at this step in my life am I being called to take? And what are the obstacles that are presenting themselves before me? Am I moving too fast? Am I moving too slow? Do I get the bigger picture? And what we're really talking about right now is heart matters, matters of the heart, a mysterious place, the inner person before us. But a retreat is a time to make an interior decision of the will to move forward. And in this retreat time, it's going to be entering into the heart. Some of us are familiar with the interior life. Some of us may not be all that familiar with the interior life. But we're all called on this retreat together this weekend. So we're going to take a step in this direction. What is the remedy that the Father gave? Jesus. The Word of God the second person of the Trinity, took on flesh. The Catechism tells us there are four reasons why God took on flesh. The first one is in order to save us by reconciling us to God. These are catechetical answers, so we'll go through them a little bit. The second one is that we might know God's love. The third one is the Word became flesh to be our model of holiness. And the fourth one is to make us partakers of the divine nature. So when we're looking at the theme of this Advent retreat, come Holy Spirit, he will guide you to all truth. That's why we start by Asking the Holy Spirit to come. He will guide us and be our companion on this retreat as we spend time with the Lord, as we spend time in silence, as we spend time beginning to enter our own hearts. He will be with us. We don't have to be alone. We're not alone. We don't need to act like we're alone. So that's the theme of the retreat. Now, as I was praying with the theme of the retreat, if you've ever been on a retreat with me before, I will, let me tell you a little bit about, um, I told you I come from Reno. My parents were Canadian. They moved to Reno um, for my mother's health. I have a younger brother, and my mother 
tells us quite a bit. We're in Advent because our mother, the church, has given us a liturgical season. And Advent is a mixed-up season. Advent, we're beginning with the ending and then ending with the beginning. So we're at the beginning of Advent, which is the ending of the, the, the year, right? <coughs> So we're going to be paying attention to that beginning of Advent, which is actually the end. Okay? The O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is a good Advent hymn, and each one of those, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, O Come, Rudy Jesse, those start on the 17th. That's the second half of Advent, which is actually the beginning, when we're preparing to look to the first coming of Jesus, But at the beginning of Advent, we're looking to the second coming of Jesus. So it's a little bit backwards. But our mother, the church, tells us what to say in particular times so that we don't get confused. So every single day from the beginning, the first Sunday of Advent, up until the 16th of December, we... Maybe you don't do this, but the church does this, and the sisters do this. We as Franciscans do this. We start the morning off, and the first words we say in the morning, in the invitatory, we don't sing waking each other up. The sisters do. This is what we say because our mother, the church, told us to say it at the very beginning. Come, let us worship the Lord the king who is to come. That's called the invitatory antiphon. It's the first thing when we pray the office in the morning, that's the first antiphon. And it's the same every day from the first Sunday of Advent until December 16th. Come, let us worship the Lord, the king who is to come. So when I was preparing for this retreat, I don't want to not tell you what our mother's saying, right? She expects us to say that. Come, let us worship the Lord, the King who is to come. So I'm thinking, okay, this is kind of an interesting little antiphon. Come, let us worship the Lord, the King who is to come. Therefore, the King has not come. He's still on his way back. But he's not here yet. But we're kind of... The first coming has already come, and the second coming, we call it, is not yet here. We're in this kind of waiting period, and it's kind of like we're in the third coming, but it's an invisible coming between the first and the second because it's a little bit backwards, right? I'm starting to confuse you. That's okay. We'll work through this. Let me tell you a little parable. It comes from Luke chapter 19, 
verse 12 through 27. Because I think the parable helps us to understand the antiphon, which helps us to understand the season, which is a gift to us right now in 2019. And I'm going to read it from a different translation because we're used to hearing certain translations, and sometimes different translations will help us to understand or catch different words that we've just never heard before. We've all heard the parable. There was once a man who was descended from a royal household, and he needed to make a long trip to get authorization for his rule and then return. But first he called the ten servants together and gave them each a sum of money and instructed them, engage with this until I return. His fellow citizens hated him. So they sent a commission with a signed petition to oppose his rule. We do not want this man to rule us. When he came back, bringing the authorization of his rule, he called those ten servants to whom he had given the money to find out how they had done. The first said, Master, I doubled your money. He said, Good servant, great work. Because you've been trustworthy in this small job, I will make you governor of ten towns. The second said, Master, I made 50% profit on your money. He said, I'm putting you in charge of five towns. The next servant said, Master, here is your money, safe and sound. I kept it hidden in the cellar. To tell you the truth, I was a little afraid. I know you have high standards and you hate sloppiness and don't suffer fools gladly. And the master said, you're right. I don't suffer fools gladly and you've acted the fool. Why didn't you at least invest the money in a bank so I could have gotten a little interest on it? Then he said to those standing there, take the money from him and give it to the servant who doubled my stake. And they said, Master, he already has double. He said, that's what I mean. Risk your life and get more than you ever dreamed of. Play it safe, and you end up holding the bag. As for these enemies of mine who petitioned against my rule, clear them out of here. I do not want to see their faces again. It's an interesting parable, but I think it's a good Advent parable if we're looking at this antiphon that our mother, the church, has given to us. Come, let us worship the Lord, the King who is to come. We're still awaiting the King to come, but it is our place to bring proper worship to the Lord, and he has given us something to engage with while he is gone. And what are we doing with that? Rather, I know what I'm doing. What are you doing? Where am I? Where am I? So we know that we have the first coming, 
We're preparing for it at Christmas, but that's not the Advent that we're celebrating right now. The Advent that we're celebrating right now is this waiting period, this waiting period for the second coming, the second coming when Jesus will come in glory. St. Bernard of Clairvaux, um, in this, this first week of Advent, um, how many are familiar with the Liturgy of Hours? So there's like morning prayer, evening prayer. We just prayed one of them, night prayer. There's, there's actually seven of them. As Franciscans, we pray five. How many do you pray, sister? Three? Okay. So the first one that we pray is called Office of Readings. And each day there are different readings, one from the scriptures and one from the either doctors or saints or church councils or something to help us give a little bit of extra background to what we're, what we're celebrating. And St. Bernard talks about this very thing, about these three comings of the Lord. The first coming, the second coming, and the third coming. And he says the third coming lies between the other two. And it's invisible. In the first coming, we saw Jesus on the earth dwelling among men. He testifies to himself, and they saw him, and they hated him. In the final coming, all flesh will see the salvation of our God, and they will look upon him whom they pierced. But this intermediate coming is a hidden one. And in it, only the elect see the Lord within themselves. In his first coming, he came in the flesh and in our weakness. In the middle coming, he comes in spirit and in power. And in his final coming will be seen in glory and majesty. This third coming lies between the two, and it is like a road on which we travel from one to the other. Advent. It's a time of waiting for the Lord's coming. And that's what we're going to be aiming at with this retreat. This parable, I'll be speaking about it in the different conferences. But what I'm going to talk about now is, it's another little story, but it's about the interior. How do we get to the interior part of ourselves. And, and what do we do there? And I'm going to give another, it's not a parable, this one's a story. Anyone ever heard of Willa Cather? She's an American author. Um, she's not Catholic. But she wrote about the first Archbishop of Santa Fe, um, Bishop LeMay, and it's a fascinating story. It's a book. It's called uh, Death Comes to the Archbishop. And in it, one chapter, I was just, she's an incredible storyteller. And sometimes stories can bring us to imagine or experience or grasp something that explaining it just doesn't work. And she's talking, she's using this story of Archbishop LeMay, first Archbishop of Santa Fe, who was French, came to Santa Fe, New Mexico, 
I like to go on tangents every once in a while, right? We have, if you haven't been to the Mission St. Gabriel, just down here, it's like a mile away. That's where the Santa Fe Trail connected between California here and Santa Fe. They would do donkey trading. Um, anyways, Bishop LeMay, French, sent to a new diocese. Once New Mexico became part of the United States, it was made a new diocese, separated from the previous one that was connected in Mexico. And there were not proper roads yet in the United States. There were trails and there were parishes from the missions from early, early on with the Franciscans when they came up, but there were no maps. You had to have guides. And the Diocese of Santa Fe went all the way, included all of New Mexico, all of Colorado, and all of Arizona. It's a big diocese. And so this one day, it was in November, Willa Cather's recalling this story where they had to go, he was called to a mission, was over the mountains, and he took with him a guide, one of the, the young Indian guides, um, Juanito. And he's going, they've got the donkeys, and they're going out, and it's November, and they get caught as they're going over the mountain pass in a great storm, and it gets so cold and so blinding with snow that they cannot go on. And uh, the archbishop says to Juanito, we're, we're in serious danger here. What can we do? So they tie the donkeys up to the trees, and Juanito says, I know a place where we can go, but I'm not sure if we should go there. And the bishop says, Juanito, if we don't go there, we're going to die in the storm. So Juanito walks over, and they're walking a little ways with their packs on, and they come up to a cliff face. And in the cliff face, there is a small crack large enough for someone to crawl through. It's almost like lips, and they can crawl through, but they have to take their, their packs off to get through that and go through. So they take their packs off, and they, they push them in, and they come inside. And once they're in there, they're out of the storm, but it's freezing cold, and Juanito is acting very strange. He's walking from one side of the cave and he's taking logs of wood and he's bringing it to the other side, but he's not saying anything. And the bishop is starting to shiver and starting to get cold and he's starting to get nauseous. And he's like, Juanito, can we please let us start a fire with the logs? But Juanito just doesn't, doesn't pay attention. He just keeps bringing the logs from one place to the other. And then finally, when he brings them all over to the other place, he lights a little fire, and it's pinion wood, so it, 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 it's fragrant. The fire is fragrant, and it starts to sweeten the air and, and warm up the cave. And the bishop there is warming himself, but he's still nauseous. And he says, Juanito, there's something very strange about this place. And Juanito says, Si, Padre. And he goes, what is it? And he goes, I 
not sure if I should have brought you here. And he says, come. So he brings the bishop back to the far back of the cave, and he takes out his hunting knife, and he carves out the clay that's in the floor that's covering up like a fissure in the floor. And he puts his ear down to that crack in the floor, and then he motions the archbishop to listen. So the archbishop puts his ear down there, and it's the cold wind is coming straight up, but he's listening. And what he hears is a river, an underground river that is almost at the foot of the mountain, silently going through the rocks. But because it's doing this, it's creating a vibration in the cave that he just, that's what was making him sick. There was like resonating, uh, the water was resonating and it was just upsetting him. But he had no idea what it was until Juanito told him and he understood what was happening there. So what's the point? Well, when things get stormy or difficult in our life, we seek refuge, protection from the storm, protection from danger. And it is an activity of the human heart to be able to cope. When we need to cope with difficulties, it is an activity of the heart that gives us the ability. It's not an activity of the mind. The heart is the place. And to withdraw interiorly to be able to cope is a healthy way that we as human persons are able to deal with situations. The difficulty is that once we're in the interior part of our life, we can start to experience being uncomfortable. Sometimes it is difficult for people to be silent because there's something going on below the surface that we have not taken care of. Maybe we're unfamiliar with the interior life. And as adults, we find that awkward because we've grown physically, we've grown intellectually, we've grown emotionally, We've grown socially, and maybe we're still infants spiritually. That can be a reason why some people are uncomfortable with silence. We may also be uncomfortable with silence or the interior life because of mental distractions. And there are plenty of mental distractions. There are many, we're, we're in a trivia kind of an age. Men are especially susceptible to mental distractions because we tend 
to like projects and to fix things or to figure things out. It's much more difficult for men to develop the interior life than it is for women. That's okay. We're still supposed to be integrated as a person living fully from that interior life as well. So we could be uncomfortable because we're unfamiliar, mental distractions, immaturity. We could also be uncomfortable because of sin. Our conscience may be disturbing us, and we have never dealt with something. And when I start to get quiet, and I start to pay attention to wanting to do what the Lord has, something pops up, and I'm afraid to deal with it. I'm ashamed. And therefore, I'm like that young woman who puts up a false identity. Because if people really knew what goes on inside of me or what I've done, I would be rejected. And we're not made, not one of us is made for rejection. We're made and we're created to be in right relationship with our Father. But the experience of his love now as punishment will make us often avoid punishment, but punishment is all about bringing about good behavior. If a parent loves a child, they will bring about the best remedy for that child's behavior. And the parent does it out of love. And that's why we're here this weekend. To remember the big picture to remember also that we have gifts that have been given to us to engage in sharing this remedy before the second coming. Because we will be held accountable as children. My brothers and sisters, We are children of God. And all creation, all creation, even Los Angeles, is longing for the revelation of the children of God. It's not longing for counterfeits. It's longing. I'm longing for you to be who you're really supposed to be. Fully 
as persons. So do not be afraid because we are calling upon the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who dwells within us to bring about a deeper interior life, a deeper relationship with God, and somehow this weekend, there will be some movement in this direction with our openness. Our interior life takes time. It takes craftsmanship alongside the daily duties of life. But it takes time to make room in our heart for relationship, relationship with God. And if you were walking beside that cliff face, you wouldn't even know that there are people on the other side. If you've ever been to caves, Carlsberg caverns, you can walk on the surface of the earth and you have no idea what's going below the earth. This worship of the Lord, let me go back to the antiphon. Come, let us worship the Lord, the King who is to come. It doesn't always have to be on our lips. We don't always have to be talking about it. The praises and the worship of God can be sung with resounding clarity and undetected by anyone else who only sees us exteriorly. And that's, that's what we long for. That's what this Advent, that's what this antiphon is, is encouraging us as we're moving on in this retreat. To come worship the Lord, the King who is to come. And worship is another activity of the heart. So with these matters of the heart, we'll bring this night to a close. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit.